There we go. We are live again. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. And we just did a reboot because we had another audio issue. And we are starting over again. So I want to welcome all you guys back. Um, I'm going to do a whole hour of Q&A here. Uh, so I will still give you guys a full hour. Uh, and what are we talking about? We're talking about licensing. So you can license your idea to a big company and it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. Isn't that amazing? So before we get started, I just want to say I'm going to do a whole hour of answering your questions. So if you could type your questions in the chat box, that would be fantastic. And if you could just give me a thumbs up, throw a comment into the chat, whether you're watching the, re the replay of it or whether you're watching the live stream, going to help the the algorithm i really really appreciate that and also subscribe and give me a thumbs up so but every one of you if you're like damn this guy is answering my questions for a whole hour please give me a thumbs up and just throw a comment in the chat especially if you're watching the replay um, to help the algorithm and help us uh, we want to get to 100,000 subscribers we're just about pushing up against 70,000 even the, the patent office is 20,000 so in our area that's pretty damn good so we're really proud of that and we're really proud of, of helping you guys so let's jump in here um uh okay great yeah if you were on before if you want to repaste some of your questions that would be great um when you approach companies this is joyful electric woman is her handle when you approach companies with your idea do you let them know you're also contacting several other companies you absolutely do not that is not professional um, to think that you're going to pit these companies against each other is a serious rookie move. Don't do that. So I love that question, Joyful Electric Woman. That was a very, really, really, really great question. You do not want to do that. Now, if they ask you, you say, yes, of course, I'm a professional product developer and I'm shopping the product around and you're honest, but you do not bring it up. You don't go, you don't want to go, well, I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm sending this to your competitors too, so you better act or give them that sort of vibe. That is not what you want to do ever, okay? And you do not want to pit them against each other, okay? So, um, but if they ask you, say, yes, of course, I'm shopping this around. But I can't share with you anything I other companies shared with me, nor would I ever share anything that you shared with me with other companies. And that's only if they ask. So thank you for that question, joyful. Oh, it's eclectic, not electric. I made you, I made you electric. It's joyful, eclectic woman. Um, and then her other question is, um, also, can you send three sell sheets or three different products to the same company at the same time, or should you send only one sell sheet at the time? Until you have a relationship with a company, you should only send one. Now, what does that mean? How do you form a relationship with a company? You send them one. And then they're like, and then you ask them when they say no to that particular idea, because most companies will say no, you only need one to say yes. And you say, are you open to more? Or you don't even ask them if they're open to more. If they take a look at it, oh, this one's not a right match for us, then you just send them more. And so at that point, you might ask them, hey, I have three. Can I send you three? Or would you just like one at a time? And you ask them, totally okay to send multiple, but not until you have a relationship with them. And that doesn't mean you're on a first name basis. Doesn't mean you're going to coffee. Just means you've sent them a product before and you can see they're open to ideas. But to drop like five poorly made sell sheets on them with long rambling explanations. They don't got time for that, okay? But you can definitely do it. Um, so let's see, can you guys uh, comment and just say yes if you can hear me? Oh, okay, Ethan said he can, okay, so good deal. So sorry about that earlier. 
Hopefully we get a lot more people back on here. I figured out what the issue is, so that won't be happening again. Um, let's see. <laughs> yeah, Margie was saying you're in my neck of the woods and you got pizza at Sammy's. I've never had pizza at Sammy's. Maybe that's the place where I'm supposed to have gotten pizza. Um, so, okay, your question was, Margie, um, from Pittsburgh, and there is a local home and garden show um, coming up next month. Do you think it's useful to go and meet people and get business cards, even though it's not a large trade show? My product is in the betting, so so the would this show be relevant? So who are you guys licensing to? You're not licensing to retailers. You're licensing to manufacturers that sell to retailers. So at a traditional trade show, like in Las Vegas or Chicago, where most trade shows are, who are the people with the booths at the show? They're manufacturers. Let's say it's a kitchen show. It's the um, the houseware show in Chicago. So the people with the booths are the manufacturers. The people walking around are the retailers. But also the people that are walking around are inventors to talk to the manufacturers that have booths. Okay. So hopefully that that is clear. So that is a real trade show. Okay. Now there's local shows like a home and garden show. And who are the people at those shows? Well. It could be the manufacturer, but it could be just some sales guy that's there to sell to homeowners, okay? So the people walking around at those local home and garden shows are homeowners, and they're looking to make individual sales. They're not looking to make a connection with a buyer for Home Depot or Lowe's or some or Walmart or Target or something like that, right? Or some major retailer or small retailer. So could you go to a home and garden show and talk to um, a salesperson that's there. Yeah, but it's not going to be like the VP of marketing or the CEO of the companies in the booth or something like that. It's just some sales dude that's selling locally. He may work for the company. He may not even work. He may just be a temporary like salesperson that they sent there to sell just for that local home and garden show. So yeah, you could might find a manufacturer that's actually working this show? Are you going to find a high-level marketing manager? Probably not. Could you get the contact information for a marketing person there? Maybe, but that sales guy, he's just like trying to sell an individual homeowner on buying this new garden hose or or kitchen countertops or whatever. So you could go, you could make maybe something of it, but probably not the best use of your time. But so hopefully that explains that. Not only does it explain it to you, but it also explains a broader picture of trade shows. So the theme for today is getting paid for your ideas. So when I answer these questions, I want to answer them in the context of getting paid for your ideas. And the best way to get paid for your ideas in the context of this is to connect with marketing managers. If it's a smaller company, a CEO, um, are you trying to connect with a local salesperson for that company? Probably not, but sometimes salespeople can walk it over to marketing. So every time, every answer I give you guys tonight is going to be in the context of um, getting paid for your ideas. And again, I said it earlier, if you could guys could throw a comment into the, uh, the questions box, or if you're watching the replay later, throw a comment. Uh, down below and give me a thumbs up for the YouTube algorithm. I could really appreciate that. If you want to learn about more of these live streams, please click on the subscribe button. It doesn't cost you a dime. Um, okay, uh, let's see who, who else we got here. Stefan, uh, learning a whole lot, getting on board this Friday. Thank you so much, Andrew. That's great. That's fantastic.
That's great. So, you know, you guys, this is free and we can answer questions, but we've had students for over 23 years where they get a coach that personally guides them. Also our negotiation coach at myself and our co-founder, if something funky came up, we'll jump in too, you know? So we've been doing this forever and a day. Just want to let you guys know, we do coach and mentor inventors and you can check out inventright.com to learn more about that. And you should also click on the free resources tab. There's a ton of free resources if you guys want to sign up for that, and it's free. When I say sign up, it's it's free. Um, let's see what else you got here. Start typing the more questions in, guys. Um, so, oh, uh, Bacon Bandit. I like that handle. Uh, saving up for coaching, I figured I'd make it uh, a rough draft of three different ideas I've had for a while while I'm saving. So far, I've read how, how to sell ideas with or without a patent. Good Root, that's one of our books. Thanks. Um, and thank you. Great. Yeah, I hear that pretty often. So um, let's talk a little bit about while we're waiting for some more questions to come in about getting paid for your ideas. I want to give you guys, because it's a question I get quite often about giving you guys a timeline for getting paid. This is not a get rich quick scheme, guys. You can make a lot of money with licensing, but it's not overnight. You're not like licensing your product and you're going to make a hundred bucks here, a thousand dollars there. You know, when you're licensing, you're licensing to a big company and they're going to put it out there in a big way. So let's say it's a kitchen product and they're in, well, Bed Bath & Beyond finally went belly up from what I hear. I didn't look it up, but I finally, it sounds like they finally went belly up from what I heard. I might be wrong on that, but let, let's say the product is in um, uh, William and & Sonoma and Walmart and Target and a bunch of kitchen product stores. And, you know, when you license to a big company, they might have distribution in 30,000 stores right? And so you can have big dreams when you're licensing. And for these big companies, that's normal. But realize it doesn't happen overnight. Big companies don't launch products overnight. Now, people, some people are like, well, I could make that. I got a guy locally that can make me 50 and I can put it up on Etsy. And I'm like, well, if that floats your boat, good for you. Or, well, oh, I could put it up on Amazon myself. I'm like, and be lost in a sea and you need to know how to sell on Amazon. So when you're licensing, you know, they might be selling, you know, 20,000, 50,000 units, half a million, two million units a year. It depends on what's normal for that type of product. But that big company, I have unlimited money. They have all the, 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 the teams to do it. They have a sales team. They have a marketing team. They have an administrative team. They got a manufacturing team. And maybe they have 500 products, you know, and your product's just one more product in their product line. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because it's a freaking machine and you're tapping into that machine. So, but because it's a machine, there's a lot of wheels. There's a lot of people involved. They're not going to like a launch a product overnight. You know, one time I had this inventor and they said, well, I showed this product to this company and they stole it. And I'm like, well, when did you show it to them? They're like two weeks ago. He's like, I see it on their website now. I'm like, uh, yeah, no company on the face of the planet can launch a product in two weeks and have it up on their website. They didn't steal your idea. Um, so, uh, with, when it comes to making money, getting back to the theme and getting paid for your ideas, um, it's going to take most companies in most situations, it's going to be a year before that product hits the market. And then it's got to be on the market for a quarter because you get paid your royalties quarterly every three months. So it's going to be like a little bit more than a year. Now, it could be a year and a half. Now, sometimes you got like a cut and sew product or there's no injection mold or it's just a really simple product. Maybe it's a printed product. And theoretically, then, yeah, it could hit three months, but very rare there, you know, maybe six months to 10 months. 
But you know, a lot of these products they're getting made overseas. They got to figure out some things. They got to tweak them things in. They got to get all their teams together, and they're importing it in very large volume, guys. So um, when people tell me, I, I kind of laugh when people go, "Well, I could make 50, put them in my garage, and be selling them tomorrow." I'm like, "Yeah, but you got no distribution, and you could do that." And then I see them like three, four years later, and they've sold 500 units or a thousand units. It's like that's not usually what most inventors have their intention for their products. So when you license, you, I joke, you can have delusions of grandeur and you're not delusional because that big company can do those numbers. But when it comes to getting paid, which is the theme for today, that doesn't happen overnight. You got to be okay with that. And most inventors are, they're like, I'm so excited. This big company is working on this product that this licensing deal. And you're going to focus on then licensing more products, right? And now you got it into play. And if they have some sort of issue with manufacturing the product or changing a feature or something like that, you can talk to them about it, you know, but um, you're done, you know, and then you might come back and give them a new version, give them a line extension, something like that. That's your job as an inventor, but they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to get into all their distribution channels. So long story short, uh, you don't get paid overnight with licensing, but over time, it could be a tremendous amount of money. Um, sometimes products, another thing, and I'm doing the negatives here because I don't think we want to be all positive. Um, sometimes it takes a while for a product to ramp up. You know, first quarter, oh, they sold a few, you know, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. And it's like, it's like taking them like half a year, a year, and it start, then it starts to really elevate because like one salesperson sells it into certain stores and the other guy notices, hey, Bob, like this is selling well. Oh, I'm going to sell it to my retailers that I'm dealing with too now because, wow, the feedback's great. So it, it doesn't happen overnight. But when they're taking all the financial risk and doing all the work, that's a beautiful freaking thing. You know, that's a beautiful thing. All right. So let's see what else we got here because we've got a ton of questions coming in. Um, Matt says, hi, Andrew. Thank you once again. If a company says they'll get back to you in three weeks and you call to talk to them, they said again, um, it'll take 10 days to get back to us. Is that good news or bad news? That's great news because they got back to you. They said, we'll get back to you in 10 days. That means they're, they're, they haven't forgotten about you. Um, and it doesn't matter if they did forget about you. Oh, you know, yeah, I'm so busy. I, I got to take another look at that. I got to show that to my boss. So I got to show that in the next meeting. So if they got, took three weeks to get back to you and they said, oh, it's going to be another 10 days. This is normal. This is very, very normal. People get upset when they can't get a hold of a certain person in a company to get permission to send their marketing materials, which you always want to get, okay? And then they get permission to send it, they send it, and then they get upset when they need to follow up two or three times. But I sent it to them, they got it. Well, they're doing a lot of other stuff. And when people accept that you might need to follow up a bunch of times and you're not their top priority, they're doing other stuff, but that doesn't mean they don't like your idea. They just got, they're so overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with everything they need to do, just like you guys are in your lives, right? So they're just normal people like you and me pretty much. So yeah, they took three weeks to to uh, to get back. And then they said, oh, it's going to be another 10 days. You know, that's fantastic. You, you had communication. Normal, normal, normal. Very normal. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Neil said, hi, Andrew, thanks for all you do for us. If I create an LLC for entering into a license contract and my wife is an officer, does she also have to sign the licensing agreement? 
Um, I don't know. That's getting like super legal. We always recommend that when you do a licensing deal, you never do it under your own name. You always do it under LLC. Um, I believe, don't quote me on this, but if you're an officer of the company and you're doing a deal, it, I think that would depend on the LLC partnership agreement. So if in your agreement with your wife, um, it says, you know, or under the LLC, like I have authority to make decisions and sign off, I would think you'd only need one of the officers of the company to sign off. Um, I think it's however you set up your LLC. So no, I don't think you would need your wife's signature on that, but that is not my legal opinion. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Um, it's not something I would worry about. Like, have I ever seen that be a problem in 23 years? We've been doing this? Never, never. But I do get people that are like, oh, I don't want to do an LLC. So a lot of people, they don't want to do an LLC or a corporation or whatever. And I'm like, you don't need to until you get into a deal. You get into a deal, you should always do it. It's additional liability protection. So if some reason they wanted to come after you, somebody got hurt with your product, um, that they would come after your LLC instead of you. But I've never, ever even seen that happen. Um, when you do a licensing deal, just as far as liability, and this will put you guys all at ease to go, oh, I'm not worried about doing licensing deals now. Um, when you do a licensing deal with a company, you're going to insist that you're this. Here's some really a um, little bit more advanced stuff that we encounter often and that you will encounter um, probably if you do a licensing deal, if and when you do a licensing deal, when you do a licensing deal. Um, so you should always insist you're covered under their product liability insurance. Any serious company of any serious level, they'll have a million to $2 million um, in product liability insurance. And retailers won't take their products if they don't. They insist on it. Okay. So now here's the thing that they'll argue about. Usually the marketing manager or somebody in the company will argue about. And they always cave in when our negotiation coach tells them this. Um, you need to insist that you're covered under their product liability insurance. And quite often they'll argue with that, oh, no, no, we can't do that. And what our negotiation coach always tells the inventor to tell the companies, look, it won't cost you anything. I have some advisors in this area and they've told me it won't. Please check with your insurance company. So literally to put you as an inventor, I've never had one of our students that insisted on being covered under the company's product liability insurance when we insisted to go back and say, Please talk to your insurer. It, will, it won't cost them a dime more. So if somebody, let's say it's a knife or let's say it's a ladder, okay? If somebody, why would anybody sue you? So as the inventor, they don't even know you exist. <laughs> so, and let's say they did know you exist. They don't want to sue you. You don't have money. They're going to sue that big company, right? Which I haven't seen that happen either yet. Many of our students that have licensed, but, you know, happen one day. But so if they're going to sue somebody, they're going to sue the big company. They don't even know you exist. If they found out you exist, they probably would never go after you. But if they did go after you, you would have you would be covered under the company's product liability insurance. But also you're covered on the fact that you have an LLC. OK. And so if they went after you, they go after the LLC and not you personally. So I have never, ever seen one of our students have an issue. We've had students do ladders and knives. I remember this one student had these brass knuckles. I'm like, well, okay. And, you know, when companies do these types of products, if they do high liability products, that's what they specialize in. They're comfortable with that. You don't need to worry about it, you know. But because you do want to cover your butt, always do a deal on your LLC. Does that mean you guys all need to run out and file an LLC right now? Not my biased opinion. Do it when you get in the midst of a deal. You know, you could be doing businesses, um, Bob Smith Designs, and just your emails, Bob Smith Designs at Gmail, and you get deeper into a deal. 
and you just tell them, hey, guys, I want to do it on this LLC, they'll be like, fine. They don't care. They just want your product. You know, so this this thought process that you're going to mess things up or whatever. Um, so hopefully that puts a lot of you at ease. Some of you, you know, you have significant assets. Some of you don't have any assets. Nobody likes to be sued. It's never happened to one of our students, but it could. And if you're covered every which way till Tuesday. So the major three ways of protecting yourself when you're an inventor is one, they don't know you exist. And if somebody wants to sue the company looks you up, they're probably not going to want to sue you um, because you're not the deep pockets. Um, and then two, you're covered on the company's product liability insurance. And three, you did the deal under an LLC, not under your personal name. So you're covered every which way till Tuesday. And then for those of you that are international and live in another country, are they going to go sue you in another country? No. So there, there's a fourth one if you don't live in the United States and the companies in the U.S. So hopefully I was super, super thorough, but I bet some of you might have worried about that at one point or another. Or now you're worrying about it, but now you're like, okay, I'm not worried about it. Um, let's see what else we got here. Okay. Uh, Chad said, how important is a prototype? Does a one minute video demonstrating, uh, go a long way beyond a cell sheet. So sometimes there are students like they're not doing a one minute video. So we, we always talk about doing a one page cell sheet, a PDF, one page, one page advertisement basically is what a cell sheet is. And it's not for that marketing manager, not for that company. You're not talking about how we're going to make millions or if we only get 2% of the market, never say that stuff, okay? It's about being very direct and that marketing piece is for their customer. So if that customer is buying kitchen cutting boards, make it for their customer. If that customer is buying um, industrial nail guns, it's for their customer. You want them, that marketing manager, to see your marketing piece and go, oh, if my customer saw this, they would want it and I'm intrigued, okay? So a lot of times our students will do a sell sheet and a lot of times they will not do a video at all, but sometimes they'll do a video and it's not like a full on one minute video. It's like a 15 second video that's creating an additional understanding of the product. Sometimes people will do both. They'll do a full on sell sheet and they'll do a full on like 30 to 60 minute video. So a video demonstration can go a long way, Chad, like you said, but it really depends. I've seen products. I'm like, why would you do a video on that? That's a waste of time. And I see other ones like, you know, it'd be really cool if you had a video along with a cell sheet. And then I've seen ones where I'm like, hey, don't bother with the cell sheet. I think a video is going to be best for this. And also what people think of as a video isn't necessarily what you're thinking. Sometimes you're thinking, oh, it's just going to be all like moving pictures, right? And so, you know, I'll have to clip it here. It's going to show three seconds of that and four seconds of this. Then I have a narration. And that is a lot of videos. But also sometimes it might be a series of still images, still images with the narration. Or maybe there's a moving video and then there's a still image showing a virtual prototype and then it goes back to a moving video. So they see the, the virtual prototype and they're like, oh, that's what it is. And then you're like, let's say it's a dog toy and you duct tape this thing together. It looks terrible, but you're throwing it and you see the dog going crazy for it. And you don't show the close up of it where they see all the duct tape, but they just saw a picture of the virtual prototype. So you're creating this image in their head. Oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, I see the dog playing with it. And then you're not showing a close of it. That's just a random explanation. So a video is not always what you think it is. It can be still images. It could be with narrations. It can be with captions. It could be all moving images. Um, it could be to supplement the cell sheet. It could be all by itself. It really depends. Our coaches help our students on what would make the most sense where they get it. And so basically, if it's a cell sheet, they need to get it in six seconds. That's it. If you're making them think, if you've got long rambling emails and you're trying to throw everything in the kitchen sink into that, into that cell sheet, you're going to screw yourself. You are not going to get interest. 
even if the product is great sometimes because you messed up your sell sheet. And if it's a video, and let's say it's 60 seconds or under, which is what we highly recommend, never go over 60 seconds. I've seen a few where I'm like, okay, you can go 80, 90 seconds, but really under 60, you don't wanna lose them in the first like five, 10, 15 seconds. If you, if they, you send a video and you're like, hi, my name is Bob and my family says I've been coming up with great ideas forever. Like, ah, like don't, don't do that. Okay. But you don't need to be this like crazy, like infomercial pitch person either. You know, it's usually, you know, problem solution. You're showing a clear benefit. And now here's the problem with videos, but it's also great. Like sometimes you can't fit in what you really need to fit into a sell sheet. Now, a lot of you think you need to fit all this in the sell sheet. And I'll be like, that stuff's not important. But if it was important, it was too much crap to cram into a sell sheet, a video can be better. But a lot of times people are like, I want to put this and this and this. And I'm like, well, you could fit that all in a video, but I wouldn't because those things aren't important. You're not staying on the mark. You're not really hitting the key benefits. You're getting off on tangents. Don't do it. But sometimes it does make sense. So it really varies quite a bit. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Okay, uh, next question. And again, I want to remind you guys, um, please help me out. I'm spending a whole hour. Uh, we would love to get to 100,000 subscribers. We're getting close to 70,000. So if you haven't subscribed down below, click subscribe and the notification button. Click the thumbs up. And if you're watching this replay at some time in the future, please just throw a random comment into the, the comment section and give a thumbs up and help us out. Just don't be stingy with the thank yous. Um, we got like we got like 50 people on here live because we had to restart the stream. I got 25 thumbs up. If we could make that all 50 people thumbs up right now, give me a thumbs up. I'd really, really appreciate it. And if you don't, I'm going to leave and I'm going to stop answering your questions. No, just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, Richard said, what happens after a year has passed from filing P a PPA, a provisional patent application? Boy, you get this one all the time, but it's really, really important. So I don't mind answering it. Do I have to file a patent? Okay. Do I have to file another PPA? Can a company steal my idea after a year and I have, um, a patent? Okay. So when you file a provisional patent application, Attor patent attorneys love to say this, and they're right to emphasize this. A provisional patent application is not a patent. It's an application, okay? Now, what is beautiful about it, when you file a provisional patent application, you can use a smart IP software on our website, and you can file a provisional patent. It used to be 75. They reduced the fee to $60. Now, for $60, you guys can say patent pending for a year. It is one of the most important parts of the invent right system and what we teach. So what it lets you do is to say patent pending. You don't have to say provisional patent pending or provisional patent application pending. The laws of the patent office say you can say patent pending. So when you make your sell sheet or make your video, you can put, and don't put it big as all hell across the top. Do not do that guys ever. Small at the bottom so you don't look like a paranoid inventor. There's nothing that says green inventor more than a huge thing at the top that says patent pending. Never, ever do that. Don't repeat it 20 times. It's small at the bottom. Trust me, if they like the product, they will see it. If they don't like the product, it doesn't really matter anyway, right? All right. So what the provisional does is it lets you say patent pending for a year. Now, a lot of people get really excited about that. 
and they don't know how to license their product. They don't know how to do it. And they just go and file a provisional. Then they sit on their hands and then the year passes by. Okay. Now what our students do is they file the provisional. They got a whole freaking year. You never need more than a year to get the feelers out there and see if there's interest in the product. Okay. You just don't. But a lot of you, the time runs out because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to approach companies and the time just starts ticking. Now here's where some patent attorneys will screw you over. And I see this and I bet I piss off a lot of patent attorneys and I'm so happy that I do it because the patent attorneys that do this aren't being completely transparent. A lot of great patent attorneys out there. Some of them, they'll sell fear. Uh, particularly this happens when you go to a patent attorney, you didn't know that you could use a software on our site, buy smart IP and file a provisional for 60 bucks. Um, that's the patent office filing fee. But, and you feel like, yeah, oh, I have to go to a patent attorney. I could never do that. I looked at, I looked at patents on Google patents. That's like crazy verbiage. I could never do that. Well, the provisional patent, you can write, in com write it in common English. Anybody can write a provisional. But anyway, you didn't know that. So you went to a patent attorney and they'll typically charge around 2,500 to file a provisional patent, which is a lot of freaking more money, more than 60, and is really not the best thing to do because a lot of times when a company um, sees your product and they say, well, we like this, but we're a little concerned about this or that. And you're like, oh, let me, let me think on that. And you come up with a solution, let's say in a couple of days, you're like, crap, I came up with a solution to what their problem is. I know they like the base product, but they didn't like this or that. And now you just file another provisional for $60, not another $2,500, my God, or $10,000 filing a patent. Um, so anyway, what happens is a lot of inventors will spell $2,500 or so to um, file a provisional patent with a patent attorney. And then they don't do anything because they just figured the first thing to do is file a patent, which it is not. Um, and, and then they just, the year starts ticking before they know it, 10 months, 11 months coming up. Oh, my provisional patent's going to run out. So of course the patent attorney makes a little friendly call and patent attorneys are terrible salespeople, but selling inventors fear is like the easiest thing to do in the world. And I'm not saying all patent attorneys are selling fear. I think they're doing their, 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 their job to say, look, your provisional is running out. What are your options? They're doing a good job. There's nothing wrong with that. But when they give you half the story, and because they don't know how to license stuff, they're saying basically, look, you're going to need to file a full utility or you're going to lose your priority date, which is not a lie. So basically, when you file a provisional, if you don't file a full utility within the year that the provisional gives you and cite the provisional, you'll lose that date that the provisional gives you, right? So they're right about that. But they don't tell you that, oh, you could take that same provisional, providing you haven't made public disclosure, which means putting it up on a public website or selling it at a swap meet or something like that. And if you're just privately showing it for license, most people don't consider, most attorneys do not consider privately offering it through email for license to a potential licensee is not public disclosure. There's a slight debate on that. So you got to look that up, but I, I've never seen it be an issue. So, um, so they give you this impression that you're going to lose your rights. That's messed up because it's not true. So let's say you you're, you let that year run out, but you haven't made public disclosure, haven't put it up on Amazon or eBay or or put it up, made a Facebook post about it. Um, 
you could just take that exact same provisional and file it again and get another year. Now, it will not continue. Provisionals are not connected in any way or shape to each other. If you file multiple provisionals, they're all within the year and you file a full utility, you can reference each provisional and from whatever date each of those are, you'll have protection for whatever is in each one from each of those dates. So you could file one, let's say 10 months ago, and has A and B in it, and you could file another one today 10 months later, and you, you just take the same one, you add C, and you're protected for C from that date. And let's say a month from now, you file a full utility and you reference those two provisionals, you'd be protected for those dates. C just from a month ago, because you filed a new one. Now, they give you this impression, though, that you're going to lose all your rights if you don't file a full utility, and that's not true. You'll lose that date, though. So if somebody came up with a new with that idea within that year, now I've never seen that happen. Our students all the time let provisionals lapse, usually new students because they, um, they'd filed something before they came on with us. And they're like, next time they work on an idea, they're just going to file the provisional like the week before they're ready to start reaching out. They got a whole freaking year. And if you know the InventRight approach and you have a coach guiding you through it, you, you don't need that much time to see if an idea has legs, not even remotely. Um, but they were in that position because they filed a provisional before they came to us. Um, so, so here's the question. When you file a provisional, an attorney gives you a feeling like if I don't upgrade, which they're right, if you don't file a full utility and reference that provisional, you're going to lose that original date. Is that worth $10,000, $8,000, whatever your attorney is charging you, and you don't have any interest yet? I would, I'm just going to tell you what I would do. I would never do that. I would just file another provisional. You know, I mean, if it's like a bazillion dollar idea, which every inventor thinks is a bazillion dollar idea, right? But, you know, and that date was so important. You're just convinced that somebody else came up within that period of time, which I've literally never seen, but it could happen. Um, then, okay, maybe it's worth the eight or $10,000 patent attorney wants to charge you. So uh, who, who asked that question? That was great question. Uh, who asked that question? Oh, okay. That was Richard. He wrote in all caps too. Wow, Richard. All caps. You got my attention though. But so hopefully that ramble was helpful. Richard, I guarantee you that a whole bunch of other people didn't really understand that. And I bet some of you still don't understand that because it's like you almost need a graph and a timeline. But I think a lot of, if half of you got that, I did my job. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. A joyful, eclectic woman. So the rise and decline of Bed Bath & Beyond Business Insider on August 31st, 2022. It would be closing an estimated 150 stores and slashing 20% of its corporate staff. Yeah, I thought they completely went up. Um, uh, Harold's just mentioning that LLC is limited liability company. Yes, that's correct. Um, Valentino. Hey, Andrew. Is it all right? Almost okay. We have 56 people watching live now, and we have 41 thumbs up. Let's let's try to get more thumbs up, guys. If you could help me out, that's what this is. This is my thumb. Your thumb is on the screen. Please click it. Oh, there we got another one. Oh, another one, please. I'm gonna leave if you don't give me another thumbs. Up. Oh, there we go. We got three more. Cool. I'm kidding. I'm not gonna leave, guys. Uh, it worked though. I'm sneaky. Um, Valentino said, Andrew, is it all right to pitch sell sheets? that do not look professionally made. I have several ideas that I find hard to design for someone without Photoshop experience. Okay, guys, I'm going to admit a mistake that we made with our students um, back in the day, because we've been doing this for 23 years. Back in the day, we were having people 
actually print up, this is how long we've been doing it, print up their sell sheet and mail them. And the big debate, should we send it regular mail or should we send it FedEx to get their attention? And some people are like, hey, can I send a fax? And it'd be like, uh, you know, when you send a black and white fax, it doesn't look very nice. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of iffy. Maybe if you made a line drawing, but that doesn't look good either. This is the type of stuff we were dealing with back in the day. Um, so the mistake that we made back in the day, because graphic designers back in the day were very expensive 23 years ago, okay? Um, it was like a big deal, graphic design. That was the industry of the future. And if you could learn how to be a graphic designer, you're like you'll make lots of money. And now you just throw a rock and you get an amazing graphic designer that works for pennies, right? Um, so we were having our students actually do their own sell sheets. And the bar for what was a good looking sell sheet back then was very, very low 23 years ago compared to today. Nobody should be doing their own sell sheets. Now, what you should be doing, which our students do, you hack something together. Well, you throw like, oh, this image is going to go here. It's a benefit statement at the top, some bullet points. So a lot of our students don't even do that. They just write it up in an email. Here's the main picture. Here's the smaller picture. Here's the benefit statement. Here's some bullet points. It's all written up, and our graphic designers will make it pretty. So there was us or somebody else. You should always have a graphic designer doing your sell sheet. It is so distracting. I've seen so many incredibly terrible sell sheets from people that now Valentino kind of knows. He's like, he's like, I know this doesn't look good. Guys, we push our students to reach out to 20 or 30 companies. Don't fool yourself into thinking this thing looks good. Now, if you're a professional graphic designer, and just because you know a little Photoshop doesn't make you a professional graphic designer, doesn't make it that you know how to lay things out, it can be very distracting. The bar is very high for what companies expect to see. Now, fortunately, graphic designers work for pennies these days. We include a sell sheet and a virtual prototype for our students that sign up with our coaching program. And so the coach works with the student on what the good marketing is, because you can make it pretty, but if the marketing sucks, it's just a pretty piece of junk and it's not going to get interest from somebody from a company. And then quite often, a, a lot of our students, they can't, we do, we do virtual prototypes for like nine. I would say I've, I've been saying 85% and I took a closer look at it. It's like 95% of our students we do virtual prototypes for. So it's like, it's just something, is this what it looks like? It looks really nice. Like sometimes students will have kind of a cool prototype, but it still looks a little hacked together and we'll still do a virtual prototype for them. So between the virtual prototype and graphic designer doing the sell sheet, there's no reason any of you guys should be doing it yourselves. Um, I would say of the new students we get, most of them haven't done a sell sheet, but some of them have. I would say maybe 5% of them like, oh, that's good to go. But li literally 95% of them, I'm like, God, please don't send that. Um, you know, and, and and sometimes it's like close, but you don't want close. You don't want good. You want, boom, I got it in six seconds. Boom, I'm not distracted by some bad colors and bad layout and getting to the point, you know, and a lot of that's not just the quality of the graphic design, but it's the quality of the marketing. So we make our students pros, but even when we're making our students pros and making a good marketing piece, they're working on what it needs to be, but they're not actually doing the graphic design. Now, if you're a professional graphic designer, that's fine. But I've seen the other thing I've seen is they're a professional graphic designer, so they can make it beautiful, but they suck at marketing. A lot of graphic designers aren't good at marketing, so they'll make it beautiful, but the marketing's all off, you know? So, but if you're a good graphic designer and a kick-ass marketer, which is probably very few of you, if you're both those things, then yes, consider doing your own sell sheet. Otherwise, don't. 
you're just wasting your time. And you reach out to 30 companies and have a half-assed sell sheet. Guys, don't do that. Do not do that. It's not worth it. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, I answered this question earlier, uh, but we had to restart the stream because I had an issue with my audio, which we've now figured out. So that will not happen again unless it's YouTube's fault. Thank you guys for all the thumbs up. I really appreciate that. Um, let's see. Okay. So this is from Matt. Um, hi, Andrew. Are you are talking to a company and they say it takes three weeks. It, they say it takes three weeks to get back to talk to them. And after three weeks, they say it should take another 10 days to get back. Is that good or bad news? It's great news because they're communicating with you. That's great. People get irritated by a couple things when they're new to this. So first off, you should never send a marketing piece of sell sheet um, or video to a company without first asking permission. You know, I have a product that I think is the right match for your product line. I'm looking to license to your company. Can I send you a marketing piece? You know, it only take you a few seconds to take a look at it. See if it, you might be interested in licensing it. All right. So people get irritated that people aren't getting back to them to say, yes, send it to me. Okay. That's the first level of irritation. Now, the thing that get people really pissed, which it shouldn't, and and Matt's not saying he's getting pissed here. He's just like not under not he just doesn't have the experience to have experienced it. But he's he is now he's in the game. Um, is they said yeah, send it to me. Now they said it'll take us three weeks. They got back to me. They said we need another ten days. So a lot of times you'll get permission to send a sell sheet of, or um, a video, and then you like first of all don't follow up with them in two days, guys. Like ask them when's the right time to follow up. And I would say we at least ten days at least 10 days. They're doing so many other things. They're overwhelmed just like all of us with all the stuff they got going on. They're not going to get back to you right away. Now, here's the thing that people trip on and don't trip on this. They said, yeah, send me the sell sheet. You might need to follow up with them two, three, four times where they're not responding. Inventors get weird then. Oh, they're ripping my idea off. They're freaking busy. They might have saw your email a couple times, but they got to tons of projects and, and you'd be surprised a lot of times like, oh i'm so sorry i know you emailed me a couple times i'm finally getting back now i you hear that all the time so in matt's case they said take three weeks to get back then they said we need another 10 days they're communicating with them which is great because a lot of times they won't communicate with you and you'll need to reach out many many times before they do even if they said yes yeah, send me your sell sheet because they're freaking busy normal 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 once you guys realize that stuff's normal and you accept it now when, when we got our fans doing this stuff, even our students try to give up too soon. Like we get our students like they have 30 companies and they tell them, well, you know, I think I'm gonna move on to this next project. Coach is like, what? Yeah. Well, I got, I got 15 no's. It's like, how many do you have on your list? 30? You're not done. <laughs> you can start working on another project, but you're not done with this one. You gotta keep pushing out every week a little bit, you know? And and people will always give up sooner than they should. And if I if there was one reason why our students are successful, why our members are successful when others aren't, is because they have a coach pushing them to do that. They're not overthinking it. When they ask and they're concerned, like Matt was concerned, like, hey, yeah, yeah, of course. They said another 10 days. They're communicating with you. Beautiful thing. Great. But he needed to hear that. Now he's hearing it from me on a live stream, which is kind of a weird place to hear it. When you hear it from your coach and they know your product, they know everything is right and you're doing everything right, it's even more powerful. Um, uh, da, 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 joyful, eclectic woman. You and Steven used to review sell sheets. Do you still review them? I think we did that for a few YouTube shows. Um, no, you know, when you review a sell sheet, 
you can't just review a sell sheet. You got to study the marketplace. So when our coaches are reviewing a product, we need to make sure the marketing is spawn on for that micro category. So let's say it's a kitchen cutting board, or let's say it's a doorstop or whatever it is. You need to know that micro category. So it's the coach's job to put back on the student. Look, you need to find this, this, and this. Show me the other product space. Show me how yours fits in. And then you change the marketing in the sell sheet to adjust for that. So you can't just review a sell sheet. I think we did some YouTube videos where we reviewed a few ones. I think it was like really spontaneous and stuff too. We didn't even look at them much ahead of time. But, and you could go, here's what's good or bad about the sell sheet. But if you don't add, having studied the category, the micro category of the invention and study the marketplace to adjust the marketing, it's not a full review of a sell sheet. So no, we don't do that for the public. You got to do it right. You can't do it half-assed. Like, hey, is this good? I'm like, yeah, you're getting your point across, but I don't know if that's the market. We need, I would look at this, this, and this. And so there's a lot more to look at there. Because that's everything, guys. Because your sell sheet, it basically does all the selling for you. That's very, very important. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, David said, hi, uh, Andre. No, it's Andrew, but that's okay. Uh, if you tried reaching out with a sell sheet only with little response, then would you say a prototype should be tried after? No. Prototypes don't sell. Patents don't sell. Sell sheets sell. So you need to show them the marketing. It's not like, oh, they're not responding to my sell sheet. That means your product isn't that interesting or your marketing isn't that good in the sell sheet or you're reaching out to the wrong people in the companies or you reach out. Hell no. A prototype doesn't sell benefits. A sell sheet or a video sells benefits. You're not selling a prototype and you're not selling a pen. You're selling the benefits of your product. Okay. So that's very, very important. That's something we say over and over and over again in InventRight. Um, let's see what we got here. I have a product line, uh, Keep Portland Real Gel Polish. Okay, that's their handle. That's a weird handle. I have a product, probably has to do with their product. I have a product line. I'm here to get some tips. So yeah, we've had students license entire product lines. So you can, if you want to, it can look a little overwhelming to a company, but you can present an entire product line um, to a company and see if you can, um, my wife's texting me. She doesn't know I'm running late. Um, let me text her. Okay. I, I'm telling her I'm not done with the live stream. I, I can't have dinner yet. I, yeah, it's literally what I texted her. Um, Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, one really cool one, we have this uh, French-Canadian. He was living in the Yukon, and he licensed an entire line of camping products. And it wasn't like he didn't present the whole line. They actually really liked one of his products. And they said, you got any more? And he said, yeah, here's another one. And they're like, got any more? Well, send them all to us. And they're like, oh, we, and they, they literally launched a whole new line of camping products and they licensed like, I think it was like eight or 10 products all at once from him. That was really cool. Is it harder to do? Yes, because it's more for a company to take on. But um, my guess is you you might be venturing the product yourself and you could show them the whole product line. And hey, if they want to license just pieces of it or all of it, that's fine. But I think you could totally do that. Um, I don't recommend it in a lot of cases, but it can make sense. And without actually looking at your particular product, I can't tell. Uh, alkaline. Uh, which is telling is their handle. 
how do you protect an original food product formulation? Um, quite often, you're going to keep it a trade secret. So, you know, you're going to talk about how it tastes good or how it's super healthy or this or that. And you're going to market a food product like you normally do. And then you keep it a secret. I always thought it was really weird. Like, and you market the product itself and its benefits. And I always thought it's pretty weird that um, now you're going to try to convince them to eat food from a stranger. Um, so don't act creepy when you're trying to license a food product. Act very professional because for me, if I was a food company, eating something from a stranger feels a little weird. But you know, you're going to talk to them. And so you got to do the marketing on it. And most of the time, you're going to protect it as a trade secret. Um, you know, like there's, if there's a method of manufacturing for manufacturing the food, then you could get a, a, a patent on that. Um, and you could also keep it a, a trade secret as well. You can do both those things. Um, meanwhile, in the desert, that's their handle. How do you know if a product is more novelty or not and might not need a PPA? Um, yeah. Well, first off, if you're new to this and you can file a PPA for 60 bucks and it makes you more comfortable, why the hell not just file it? Get that experienced. Um, you know, if, if you were a coaching student of ours, I could tell you. And sometimes people in the novelty business, like you make relationships with the company. How do you do that? You just send them one product. Now you have a relationship. And now they might be like, you might be like, hey, I got a lot of novelties in this area. Are you okay with me sending you five, six at a time? And that novelty is one of those areas that once you make a relationship by sending them one, they can like to see quite a few. And if you feel comfortable with them, this is not legal advice. I'm actually, this is not what we advise our students to do. We always advise our students to file a provisional patent. But some of our students that habitually work on a lot of, habitually is probably not the right word. If they work on a lot of novelties, Sometimes you need to come up with more of those before you get one that's interest that's interesting to them. A lot of these novelty companies are not going to be filing provisional patents or patents anyway. Um, so you feel comfortable with them. You like Sally here and Bob there. And it's like, I don't need to file a PPA and you could send it to them. You're creating a paper trail and maybe you file a PPA later. I don't really recommend that outside of novelty. And I don't necessarily recommend it in novelty either, but you could do it with a few companies you're really familiar with them. It's one of those categories that it, you you might do that. So without looking at your product, I can't really tell you whether or not. Uh, and our standard approach is to always file a PPA. Um, so if that makes you more comfortable, gets you used to filing a PPA, you can use the Smart IP software on our website, file a PPA for $60. Like get up and running and start doing that. And then at some point you get a little more pro with it. You feel comfortable with a few novelty companies where you can send them five, six, seven ideas. You're just cranking on a bunch of those ideas. And, you know, normally I, I said, really create a professional looking cell shooter video. But with novelty, sometimes you might create something that's a little bit more rough. And if you had certain companies that were okay with that, you could do that. That's kind of like an exception, that category, though. I wouldn't typically do that. Um, okay, let's see. I'm trying to do an order so nobody gets upset at me. Uh, Biker Boy Washier. I don't know what the handle's all about. It's interesting though. Uh, cold calling tips, question mark. How many different people do you have to go through? How long are your conversations per company if you're lucky? Um, all that back and forth stuff. So, you know, historically, um, we would really emphasize like get on the freaking phone and call and we still do but most of our students don't um at the beginning so 
the at the beginning, most of our students utilize LinkedIn and they'll utilize email. And then if they're not responding on LinkedIn, not responding via email, then they'll try the phone. And you might get a helpful gatekeeper. You might even be able to hook a hold of the person directly. So um, a lot of people, when they're new to this, they're very shy. Um, we have some people that are like, I'm not shy at all. I'll call. Really, if you're a really fully functioning EventRite student, you'll be doing all three. But if you wanted to do just e LinkedIn first, not responding, then email, and then went to the phone. But if you're just really gung-ho about it, I love it. Like, I'm just going to do all three. I, I don't got time for that. Uh, why delay? I'll do LinkedIn, I'll do email, and I'll do phone. And so, uh, but it's a lot of waiting too. You know, like, for example, um, you're reaching out on LinkedIn. Let's say you got 30 companies. And, you know, we advise people to reach out three or four people in each company. You know, until you get somebody that's like, I'll take a look at it, then they're your Superman or Superwoman. There's nothing wrong with reaching out to multiple. Once somebody may, you make contact with somebody and they're like, yeah, show it around, then don't reach out to more. That's obnoxious, you know. Um, but some people are on LinkedIn every day. Some people are on LinkedIn um, once a month. Some people are never on LinkedIn unless they think their job is threatened. They're going on there just to find a job, okay? So don't expect a response from everybody on LinkedIn. Don't respect the response from everybody via email. Don't respect the response from everybody on phone. If you try all three, you'll have done everything you can to reach out and you'll get to the vast majority of companies. But you might have to reach out to some of them two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And that's normal. And, you know, what's really nice is, and this really puts a lot of people at ease, you're not pitching. You're just asking permission to send your sell sheet or your video, which is pitching for you. And if you're a student of ours, your coach has verified that this is a great marketing piece that they're going to get right away. This isn't confusing. It's not some long rambling email. You don't need to be a captain of, you know, industry or a sales professional or any, if you've, even if you are a sales professional, don't ramble on the phone. Just can you take a look at my sell sheet? Tell me what you think, you know? Um, so hopefully that was helpful. Uh, let's see. Cognitive dissident. I read Stephen's book. He's our other co-founder, Stephen Key. Um, I'm the other co-founder, Andrew Krause. A few years ago, follow the steps carefully. I have multiple sales sheets designed by a pro. Had a PP, I think you mean PPA maybe, expired now. I could never find a manufacturer to even communicate with me. Uh, you do something really wrong if that's the case. I wonder what industry you're in. Couldn't get past the gatekeepers. Well, what gatekeeper is there if you're on LinkedIn? So maybe that's part of the problem. And don't have the money to pay for your services. Okay. Um, feeling stuck, but no longer hopeless. Good. I'm glad you're not feeling hopeless. LOL. Any advice or direction would be much appreciated. I've been doing graphic design for decades. If anyone needs help, okay, you can hit me up. Okay. You now, I don't know you. You think you're a good marketer. You may be a gra great graphic designer, but you may think you're a good marketer, but you're not. But let's assume you are. Let's assume your sell sheets are good. Um, you could never even find a manufacturer to communicate with me, you wrote. So it didn't matter how great your sell sheet was. You're telling me that you couldn't even find anybody to communicate with you. Um, I don't know what you're doing wrong, but you're doing something wrong. Like if you haven't communicated with a single company, you're doing something really, really wrong. Um, I don't know if you're just calling. I don't know if you're LinkedIn messaging. I don't know if you're emailing. Let me page down at the bottom here and see if you wrote anything. You also said you couldn't find me on YouTube. Just go to inventright.com. You want to you know, find us, go to inventright.com and click on the Contact Us page. So that's our website, guys. 
Um, okay, cognitive dissonance says, I was calling. Okay, yes, calling is hard. And you need a lot of, know a lot of tips and tricks, but you can't just call, guys. You got to call, email, and LinkedIn. So that would be the big change I would make. Um, let me go page back down to where you were there. There we go. Okay. Um, all right. So you you got to start reaching out on LinkedIn. You got to build up your LinkedIn profile and start reaching out. You got to reach out via email too. That was the big mistake you were making. We were just talking about that two seconds ago. So thank you for letting me know that you were just reaching out on the phone. Um, you're probably saying the wrong things on the phone too. Um, you know, and, and that would take a while to go into to how to do phone calls. But um, so, yeah, so hopefully that gives you a new shot in the arm. Use LinkedIn, use email, and um, probably change up how you're doing it on the phone. Uh, you know, it, it, it does blow me away. You said you can't afford our, our coaching. And sometimes people like, this this irritates Stephen and myself. Like, oh, I can't afford your coaching. I'm like, uh, but you spent ten thousand on a patent. You know, it's like, it's like, and we're gonna guide you through the entire process, all the way to through to doing a deal, or you know, make sure you're doing everything right. And so it, it's funny how sometimes people, and that's I'm not talking about you, cognitive dissident. That's your handle. Um, I'm just talking about some people. It's like they value patents so much, they don't mean much, guys. You know, um, knowing how to reach out and reach out correctly, case in point, that's way, way more important. Um, okay. Uh, Farham, yeah, reach out again. Talk to us again. Um, let's see. And guys, don't hesitate to um, go to inventright.com and then click on the free resources button and sign up for that. That's totally free. Really cool stuff in there. Make sure to take advantage of that. I know some of you can't afford our coaching. We do have a lot of different coaching options now. Um, the premium one-on-one -on -one coaching is what most people do, but we do have other options too. So you can check that out on our website. Let's see what else we got here. And I got about seven minutes. I'm going to call it a night. Um, uh, Benj Benjamino G. Is there a handle? How easy it is to license a software idea, especially if it isn't made hard. Um, especially when you're like, I want to license this to Microsoft or Google. It's like, ah, you're not going to license to them. Um, I don't recommend people try to license software unless you're a professional software developer and you have a lot of experience in the software industry. Then I don't really see that much different from licensing a consumer product or a software product. Problem is everybody and their grandmother has an idea for an app, but the software geeks, when you talk to them, they're like, that's a great, and this is not true of consumer products, industrial products, but it's just true of software. Well, that's a great idea, guy, but it's going to six, take six guys in a room a year to program, you know, and they're, they're very standoffish. The software geeks are next to impossible to get a hold of. They don't want to talk to you. I don't know if they know how to talk or communicate. Um, and they just suck, especially the bigger ones. So everybody has an idea for an app. And it's like, when you do an app, you need to have something more. You need to have, like, um, if they ask you, well, what backend database you're using, you're like, oh, I don't know. And you don't know the difference between a really hard to program app and you're making all sorts of crazy stuff up. And they're like, oh my God, do you have any idea how hard that would be? And you're like, I don't know. They don't like that. So very, very hard to license software. But I advise people, if you have a background in software and you understand software and you can speak their language, then go for it. You can license software. But if you're just somebody that 
well, I use apps all the time. So therefore I can come up with a new app for my iPhone, you know, or, or an iPad or something or an Android. I recommend if you have a physical consumer product to work on that. It could be industrial, it could be consumer, it could be whatever. Um, very, very hard for a non-software person to license software. The software geeks don't like you. They won't talk to you. They're impossible to get a hold of. You will not license to Google or Apple. They're, they're impossible, okay? And especially if you haven't kind of worked it out. So just very, very hard, just being honest there. Uh, <laughs> Henry's like, just like last week, you missed me. I'll give you a thumbs up if you don't miss me. Well, I'll page up Henry and see if I missed one. Maybe I did answer. Let's see if I page up and see. Uh, here we go. Okay, here's your question. I did miss you again, Henry. I keep missing you, goddammit. I feel bad. Um, hi, Andrew. Would I need an NDA if someone is helping me with a sell sheet? More like keeping the community talk down. I think last week when I asked you, you must assume I was talking about companies. Yeah, any vendor, a prototyper, um, some graphic designer doing a sell sheet, maybe they're doing a virtual prototype, they should all sign your non-disclosure agreement and if they hesitate, I wouldn't work with them. Um, I think any graphic designer or engineer, anybody that's experienced or working with inventors knows they need to sign an NDA. And you can even get more aggressive. Uh, signing an, an NDA with an improvements clause is very aggressive. That's going to freak companies out. But for a vendor, hell yeah. What's an improvements clause? Basically says, look, you need to keep this confidential, what I share with you. And um, whatever I share with you and any improvements you come up with, I own. So if you came over this kitchen cutting board, it has a slot in the center and they're like, hey, we could put the slots like this and this. It's all yours. So I always, when you when you work with a vendor, make sure it has an improvements clause, the non-disclosure agreement that says you own any improvements. So Henry, thank you for drawing my attention because I literally thought I was going one by one and I just keep missing you, man. I don't know what's going on there, um, but I, I made good on that. Uh, man, I'm going to have to get glasses one of these days. Um, See if I page down. May X said, seems like the hardest part of the approach is finding the right individual to ask permission to send them um, more info. It's usually a marketing manager, guys. It could be a salesperson. It's a really small company. It could be a CEO. I really wouldn't recommend reaching out to CEOs of any company of any serious size. You know, it's always that smaller, like, marketing manager could champion it. Show it. The CEOs don't do work, guys. You want them to champion it and keep it moving forward. A CEO just dump it on somebody else, and now they don't get rewarded for finding you. So if you find a marketing manager, that's usually the best. Could be a salesperson, can walk it over to marketing. Some cases, people go, oh, new product development. Well, you're kind of stepping on their toes because it's kind of their job. At some companies, it might be fine. At some companies, they might see you as a threat. It really depends. I'd say get a hold of whoever you can. Um, but if marketing really likes it, and then they show it to a product development manager or a product designer, and they're like, oh, I don't know. I see problems. They're like, make it work. We like this product. We can sell this. But if you show it to the product designer first, they'll come up with every which way because, you know, why didn't I come up with this? It's going to make them look bad, right? So really, I'd always go after marketing first. Um, 777, blessed. Are you interested in a personal hygiene product? I don't know. I'm interested in toothbrushes. Why are you asking me? We're, we're guiding, mentoring, and coaching you. I don't license products. We help our students license products. So um, 
777 blessed i'm going to tell you you don't license to me don't look for an invention promotion company they're all a bunch of scammers you want to license this to a manufacturer that sells products like what you're doing which is a personal hygiene product where there's tons of manufacturers selling those products and they have distribution in a major retailer where you want to be so let's say it's a flossing pick or something well if you found a company that's selling at walmart and they're selling flossing picks what do you know they sell a personal hygiene product and they're a major freaking retailer you need to reach out to them now how to go about that and do all that that's what we specialize in we can help you do that but don't ask me if i'm interested in a personal hygiene product are you telling me my teeth look funny is that what you're telling me i don't know um but anyway i'm just being silly good good question i can tell you're new by the way you asked that but that's totally okay um all right uh let's see Salvatore said, hi, Andrew, what is the most common sequence of events after a company tells you they are interested in your product? Yeah, inventors will typically want to go back and forth via email. Big, big mistake. So I'm not going to give you the full sequence, but I'm going to give you the most common mistake that we do not let our students make. They want to go back and forth via email because they're afraid of talking to the company. The second you get interest, get on the freaking phone with them and talk with them. And what this is going to do is help you establish rapport. They're going to realize you're not a wacky inventor. You need to ask some smart questions, providing you're getting guidance from somebody like us that's going to help you ask smart questions. Otherwise, you could come across as a wacky inventor. But they need to know you're a real person. You're not a real person until you've had a phone conversation. It's a funny terminology I use. Um, if you go back and forth via email or you expect them to guide you, oh, well, you know they're interested. They'll guide me. Hell no. If you expect them to guide you, you'll kill almost every deal. You need to get on with them. They're going to ask you some questions. You're going to ask them some questions. You are at least 50% responsible for moving the deal forward. So two biggest tips I can give you, get on the phone with them ASAP when they show interest and realize you are as responsible for moving it forward as them. If you just sit and answer their questions and go, well, I need to answer that. A lot of times you're deflecting a question. You're half answering. You're taking them down a different path. And our negotiation coach, Paul, helps our students with that. And once you've been through enough of that, you can do that on your own. So that's what we do. We, we empower inventors to, um, we do experiential learning. So our students learn it by doing it. And then at some point you're like, I've done this enough. I don't need you guys anymore. I can do this the rest of my life. I can come up with an idea. I'm not blowing 10K on a patent, 5K on a prototype. I am doing a sell sheet, virtual prototype. Um, and a provisional patent application, I'm getting out there, I'm a pro. But you got to get that experience. Otherwise, you're just like, you know, just dicking around, just like nibbling at it. You got to just jump in. And people are very comfortable with us jumping in. If I'm making you comfortable enough just by this live stream on jumping in, freaking go for it. You will make mistakes. That's okay. Um, but you'll make a lot less mistakes with us. Okay. So anyway, um, thank you guys for all the thumbs up. Um, watch more of our videos. When you do, give it a quick comment down below. Give us thumbs up. It helps the algorithm. We'd like to get to 100,000 subscribers, getting closer to 70. That would be great. In our category with inventors and licensing, that's amazing. I think the patent office has 20,000 subscribers. We have close to 70. Um, we're very proud of that, I think, because we, we really help and give a lot of free advice. So I hope you guys appreciate that. If you guys could type in any thanks you have for me down below into the chat so anybody watching this live stream can see 
how helpful I was. I would appreciate that. I'm kind of joking, but kind of not. Um, and I remind you guys, take care, keep inventing. Don't forget to check out inventright.com and check out those free resources. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye.